Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I finally have Jeff Howie on the podcast. It's been like two years I've been begging Jeff. He's finally here. Jeff, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. And I really actually hope <laughs> this year you get tired of talking to me because I miss being on uh, Sound Notes with you. Yes, it's fun. And, and we, Jeff and I have a really good time talking about this stuff because we have uh, are similarly weighted down with project management backgrounds. Um, but it's nice to be able to talk about some of that stuff too. Today, we're going to talk about change management, and it's going to be a little bit of an exploration. We were in an offsite over the weekend, and Jeff and I were kicking around a lot of different ideas about things to measure and things to look at. Um, and so we're just going to see where this goes, and hopefully it will give you some food for thought, things you might want to consider if you're involved in any kind of transformation work. So, Jeff, before we start, do you want to tell these folks a little bit about what you do? I'm a managing consultant here with Leading Agile. I just celebrated my five-year anniversary. And uh, generally what I do is I work with a client to help them understand where they're at, where they want to be, what is the driver behind their, their desire to change. And from there, we start to work with them on, on what their expeditions look like, how to manage the different uh, expeditions from the base camp, uh, one, two, three, five, wherever they're headed, and then work with each of the coaches, whether they're our own coaches, their internal coaches to help execute on that transformation plan. Okay. And I want to call you out on something. So Jeff just said he's worked here for five years, but he hasn't worked here for five continuous years. He took two breaks in the middle. And just to give you an idea of how awesome this company is, both times Jeff left to explore the things, he realized they kind of suck compared to Leading Agile, and he came back. I did, so. yes. And I was gone collectively for a total of nine months, so I still claim the five-year anniversary. <laughs> he still has a very low employee number. All right, so... Um, when you think of, when you're thinking about change right now in terms of agile transformation, like what is, what are the things that are kind of top of mind for you? What we really end up talking a lot about, and, and you will see a lot of leading agile content talks from Mike and others. You'll even see it on our, our website and our blogs. Are a lot of things around measuring the progress and health of our system of transformation. So how we design the organization, how we manage the roadmap, where we are in terms of timing and approach to each of the base camps for each expedition. We talk a lot about measuring the system of delivery. Uh, what is the process of intake, prioritization? How much do we have in our backlog? Metrics like lead time, throughput, benefits that we've realized. What we are starting to think more and more about uh, that we don't have a ton of information. And I think this isn't just leading. I think this is collectively as an organization, as a community in Agile. I don't think our Agile community has a lot of information about measuring change, the effectiveness of it. Is it happening? We talk a lot about it. Transformation is change. But how do I know I'm actually changing? How do I know I'm actually making a difference? So kind of interested in looking at how we measure change itself. Yeah. One of the things that's been weird for me is I mean, when a lot of people that I've been talking to about change recently, they always point me back towards things that you would get out of an assessment, like those spider diagrams that show different levels of agility. And it's always about different practices of agility, but almost never do they talk about the outcome of the agility. It's just like, are we agile? It's like, well, yeah, you could be agile, but who cares if it's not doing anything? Right. Um, so you think that we're evolving past just looking at agility as like the end state in terms of what we measure? Like you were just talking about change kind of beyond agile transformation, right? 
yeah, if I think about agile transformation and I, I come at it from the, uh, call it the business mind or the executive, nobody actually cares if I did an agile transformation. I mean, the result is what they care about. And so if I'm looking at things like, um, you know, how many teams have I trained? Uh, how you know, many different expeditions have I kicked off? That doesn't drive the business. It's like, have we changed what we as an organization see, what we feel, what we believe, what we desire, that then allows us to be more agile in how we think, uh, more responsive to our uh, customers, more uh, efficient in how we work. Those are the things that really matter. And it's hard to, to measure some of those. So I've started to think about how we can maybe, when we start a transformation or even start thinking about agility, what, what do you look at? What can we baseline? And what can we measure over time to see, are we making any difference in those things that we see or feel, believe, or desire? So I want to I want to ask you a question with this. So um, one of the things that I talk with a lot of folks about when it comes to reporting on how your teams are doing is that you can't just go and ask management, you know, what kind of reports do you want? Because they only have like four answers to that question and they involve utilization reports and Gantt charts and stoplight reports and stuff like that. So you have to teach them to look at different things, to think about different questions. Um, But even if I get down to the point of, okay, well, this team, we're not going to just look at velocity. We're going to look at fluctuations in the sprint commitment. We're going to look at fluctuations in velocity across multiple sprints or or defects escaping sprints. Those are all kind of lagging indicators and more, I I think of them as like symptoms than actual provable things. But you're talking about something even beyond that. Right. I think those are those are critical measures and, and super important to understand. But to your point, they're they're lagging. And really, what I care about from if if I really think about it, what I care about is what are you going to do with those? What about those metrics has changed how you are going to think or operate? Has any of that that set of numbers changed how you think about things or, or how you might do something? differently. Do you, do you think you can talk about this? I mean, does it have to be measurable, all the stuff that we're talking about, or are there things that are a little more kind of big and fluffy? I and Yeah, so that's such a great question. I, I don't admit to the project management stuff you introduced me with much anymore because <laughs> I'm trying to get away from it. But, I uh, want people to proudly <laughs> wear that background. It's I important. do. I love it. Plus, you know, a lot of business analysis and I have a finance degree, which kind of drives how I think about it. Oh, wow. This. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, some of it is big and fluffy, but from my my kind of being able to prove and show that this big fluffy stuff has meaning, yeah. I like to tie it to numbers or dollars or you know some kind of an equation, and that's how I think about it too. Is if if I can think about change as an equation, you know the things that I I, I A B C D whatever should result in you know X. That's what I'm trying to think about. And so I, I do think that it is big and fluffy, but what are those things that I can at least observe and see change in uh, okay. or, or movement? So that itself is a metric in my mind. It may not be some number, may not be something I can plot, but it, it's something I can observe a difference between point A and point B and, and think about and analyze how does that difference in, in points inform the next step that I'm going to take in 
working with a team or helping to drive the next, you know, kind of iteration or level of maturity for an organization. That's what I'm thinking about okay. in terms of measures. Well, so if an organization is in the midst of transformation, like I can see where a coach or coaches could come in and retrain people and get them to work in a different way and and maybe even get them to do all the practices that we want them to do. Maybe they're doing like absolutely 100% perfect scrum, following all the steps, but them going through those motions doesn't necessarily indicate that they're getting to these four things, see, feel, believe, and desire. Right. Talked about. So how do you start to get an understanding of where things are with that? Like, how do you baseline and how do you watch change in it? Yeah. So maybe take each one of those, like the, the, the C part. Let's start okay. with that one. If, if I'm thinking through that, when I first thought about, well, what are the things I can see out of my transformation? And my mind went to things like, you know, how many training sessions have I had? How many teams do I have spun up? Um, but but I wasn't able to tie that to the business case. And if I go back to the fact that, I, you know, as a transformation consultant or any, you know, even if I'm not a consultant, if I'm running a transformation, there's a reason behind it from the business. I have to relentlessly manage to that business case to show value, to be allowed and given agency to continue that transformation work. I couldn't connect those. So what I thought about was, what can I think about in terms of things I see in the, the ecosystem around me? And, and one that comes to mind, and again, this is where it's a little fluffy, but I think I can measure it. It's the language we use. Okay. And if I look at something like how many times am I going to a project status meeting or how many of our initiatives are funded as projects versus thinking in terms of value. So you know, that, that old project-centric approach to am I funding my project or am I funding some valuable epic? And okay. It sounds weird, but I'm like, I, I've seen that in practice with some teams where, you know, maybe, you know, the parts of my organization who haven't started the transformation, it's all about project funding. Over on the other side, after a, you know, a period of time, they're actually talking about this epic versus that epic and this one being more valuable than that. We do that with projects. Yeah. But when you think about it from the epic perspective, you've flipped it a little bit from how am I going to justify all of the people and resources and cost of this project to how am I going to make this valuable epic more important than the next valuable epic? Okay. Constantly evaluating. So I think there's some language kind of well, stuff. Well, you just said people and resources, which to me, that's like the most glaring example is, do you yeah. consider people to be resources or human beings? Which is yes. a subtle, a subtle <laughs> little thing, but like even I constantly catch myself almost saying it. It's tough, right? Yeah, it's hard. And, it's hard and, to break the habit. And some, of, and so like, if I think I'm gonna actually, it's a perfect segue into the like the feeling side of it because I think change can be visible in the things we feel. And so I use that term resources. You know, I'll admit to not being the most empathetic person in the world either. Um, but if I think about how can I measure feeling, are people feeling the change? I have a couple of examples. Um, I, I can't claim that I invented these. They were, they were given to me as examples from another coach or I read something, you know, somewhere and, uh, and it sounds, this one's going to sound super fluffy, especially to any of my colleagues or, or executive team who's going to listen to this, but <laughs> Um, call you immediately. They're gonna call me immediately. Uh, but I've used it feel a, a different way about things. 
used it at a client, it worked, I plan to use it another. It was basically a happiness index. And, and so I'll tell you how I used it. So there's this tool, it's called Nico Nico. So there's a website where I could go and I could sign up and it would basically send a weekly uh, reminder to the team, allow them to come anonymously vote how they're feeling with a happy face or a sad face or kind of an indifferent face, right? And I'd get the little update. Um, and what I found was I, I can't just like say, how happy are you? I had to tie it to something about the transformation work. Uh, and I, I, I did this on Wednesdays, by the way, not Monday where everyone's, you know, ticked off. They have to come right. into work or Fridays where they're euphoric that they get to leave. But like Wednesdays, middle of the week, middle of the road. Um, and I started with questions about the transformation itself. Like, how are we feeling about uh, or basically the real question was, how happy are you? in terms of the transparency we have shared about the plan for transformation. So it was early in the transformation, a lot of noise around the change itself. People saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know when I'm going to be impacted or how I'm going to be impacted. And so that was the question we asked for a couple of months every week. As we got the, the feedback, the transformation leadership team was able to say, hey, we are doing better with our transparency. People are feeling better about the plan. Or if not, things could go down. Hey, people aren't as clear on what's going to happen. We're starting to hear some more noise. It was just helping us to better manage the transformation. But a few months later, we came back in. We had, you know, expeditions up and running. Everyone knew now uh, when things were going to impact them because they'd already been impacted. We changed the set of questions. And the, the next question we asked was, how happy are you that this new way of working has improved our throughput without negatively impacting your work-life balance. So again, all these fluffy, like, you know, touchy-feely, people kind of oriented things, but now I'm putting a metric around it. Yeah. But we were able to say, hey, are you able to do more as we promised in this new way without, you know, hating your life kind of thing? That was really the question. And so you could track then the up and down and that, and that then better informed how we're going to respond. So I want to, I want to tell a similar story. Um, I, I thought happiness metrics were incredibly stupid. And um, I was trying to learn about personal Kanban and Brian Bizzuto was kind of coaching me through it. And he had me sign up for this happiness survey tool that would ping me like four times a day and ask all kinds of weird stuff. But it was always like, what are you doing? And are you getting value? Like, would you skip ahead and not do this thing? Is there something else you'd rather be doing? Um, oh, yeah. And I did it like three to three or four times a day for like a month. And the, the stuff that came out of it was completely like not helpful. But the thing that was helpful was it taught me by asking me these questions that even when I feel like I have too much to do and I'm overwhelmed and, you know, I'm worried about things I'm not doing instead of focusing on the things that I am doing. I mean, one, it made me more aware of that. But two, it made me aware of the fact that everything that I do, I actually really enjoy doing if I don't worry about the stuff I'm not doing. So it taught me about being more intentional about my choices and actually just being with the thing and doing it. And that was what was more rewarding. Um, so I think even the way you ask the questions can be helpful in terms of, I don't know, raising people's awareness of what's going on. I like that. That the way you ask questions, how you collect the feedback. And then again, what's important with all of this is what you do with it. Yeah. So, you know, whether it's, you individually, a coach with the team or, you know, kind of the, the transformation leadership team or even the transformation office, how they're using this to better inform what's next, where we go next, how we might need to pivot or shift our plan. 
because we're seeing it, you know, it's, it's either great and let's continue doing more of that, or it's not working like we thought and need to shift. Now, do you think in, in the stuff that you've seen, let's say that um, you, whether you're doing surveys or not, you're getting some awareness of the fact that what people are feeling in the transformation is just like this overwhelming amount of change and a lack of clarity. And it's just, it's just really hard. Like they're not they're getting mixed messages from different parts of the company. Um, there's a chance that the whole thing could kind of backfire and everybody could just bail on it. Are you, are you able to, to take this idea of, you know, what people are feeling and explain that to traditional minded C-level people who might normally be inclined to say, screw what they're feeling, get them to work faster. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's a really great question. And, and I don't know, I haven't tried it. And I'll okay. tell you why I haven't tried it because I don't know that it would work. Uh, and I'm hesitant. And so in those cases like like that example i would probably have that to me that's an indicator uh you know it's kind of a transformation we need to look at something else you know what is okay. an adjacency or some other set of material you know measures that i could look at like employee I, turnover like they're quit they're so sure. frustrated they're quitting and it takes this this long to hire someone new Yes, turnover, you know, trying to get out of the org, uh, those types of things, absolutely. I think that's a clear metric. Another, I in, I hadn't done exactly how to make the link, but I, w I had thought about the, the case where I've got uh, folks who are unclear, unhappy maybe about what's happening. But then I also would look at like, what what is it they believe we're trying to accomplish? And so you may have some uh, forums, whether it's, you know, kind of an online forum, like an FAQ or ask a coach kind of page or some in-person forum, but you're actually letting people express where they have questions or un uncertainty and ambiguity Yeah. because it usually shows that we haven't clearly communicated some goal, vision, outcome, tactic, detail, whatever. They're not unhappy. Some people are unhappy to be unhappy, let's be honest. But most people aren't. Well, right? there most are a lot of people who are very comfortable in the victim position. Yeah, but even with some of them, if you can clearly explain how that, that next thing's not going to hurt as much as they think it will, you yeah. can probably drive them out of that. So it's like, what do they believe around it? How do I measure what they're believing in it? Uh, I think some of that's where I have these. So one thing I like to do just to kind of gauge what people believe is, is give an, an open forum, whether it's like a coach's hours or ask a coach, you know, you know, email page or something like that. It's like, I get to see what people are thinking and questioning, like, why are we doing this? Or I don't think this is the right direction of giving feedback. And that helps to better say, oh, maybe here's an issue where we weren't clear or here's something we've been trying to instantiate in the system here that it's just so counter to what everyone has thought or believed so far, it's going to be a harder sell. Yeah. So you have to find different ways to do that. I think I'd have to look at some of those additional types of things to be able to go to my executive team or, you know, uh, to the, the client and say, here's, here's why people are unhappy. Here's some stuff you can see people moving, people driving, people unhappy. Um, here, here's what we think that is. Here's what we're going to do next to address it. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of people that I, I get a lot of people in class who are like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go along with this stuff and wait for them to change their minds again. Um, those are the people that have been through like Six Sigma training and ITIL training and like, you know, every couple of years, the company switches their magic answer. And if they don't like Agile, they're just going to wait for it to switch again. 
Yeah, because um, we haven't we haven't tapped into the belief right, that right. it's going to change, make a difference, or 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 improve their lives, or or the throughput, or make the customers happier, any of that. And I think the open forum thing, just to give an example from from our offsite this weekend. So um, there's a call that is held every morning by management, and they talk about all the you know stuff that's going on with the clients, like what we're working on, new stuff we're selling, things like that. Um, and it's open to everybody who works at the company. This weekend at the offsite, one of the questions that got a lot of votes when we had our you know, Q&A period was, who are the new clients that are being targeted? And one of the things that was shared was like, you know, this stuff has been available to you for a really long time. Like everybody has access to this. But just because a decision has been made to share the information doesn't mean people know to go get it. Like there's, there's that step between action and actual internalization, I think. Yeah, or even if they do know where to get it, that just having enough. Uh, oh man, we're going to segue into desire here. So, well, enough yeah, because we, it to was totally believe. smooth from feeling to believe. So, yeah, well, awesome. It's like I, I, I may know where to get it. Uh, I, I was in that call. I was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly where to go. I didn't know this whole list of things, um, but I haven't necessarily had the need or the drive or the desire to go do it. Yeah. So, but once you have that. You're starting to say, "Oh, I have the information and access to you know, whatever it is—the people, the, the data, the whatever I need. I I understand and believe this is going to make a difference. I feel like this is good stuff for me. Uh, now I have the desire to go participate and help improve what's coming up next. And I think that's another. If I think about change in general, I want to see: Do people actually care about that? Do they? Not just do they understand it, do they feel it's better, but do they desire to be part of the change? Or, or did they make other. a conscious choice to not? Like, yes, I know right. that I could get up and be on those calls, but I'm choosing not to because I value something else more. And yes. Then, and then they can't be the victim. Then they have to acknowledge, like, that was, that was me. I'm the one that made that decision. Absolutely. Make a clear differentiation between I'm either going to participate in continuing to improve or I'm not. And just to have the snake totally eat itself, to me, <laughs> that, right. this is a really good example of a company that's transforming. If, if you can get people to engage, everybody, to engage at a level where they realize, I have choices I make all day long. And there's stuff that I might have access to that I might choose not to pursue for whatever reason. But that's my choice. And I have to own that. And I can't be like, management's not telling us or they're not sharing it or I'm a victim or whatever. Yes. Exactly. And I think there's a tipping point too, right? The heavy lifting is to some level where it just starts to feed on itself. Yeah. Uh, but, but that early heavy lifting, I think that's where in my mind, I have to give a ton of attention, more frequent kind of interactions to what's going on with within the system is kind of on the periphery too. It's like I need to not just watch the, the teams I'm working with, but what is the the sentiment? What's the belief? What's the desire of you know kind of the business partners, the external forces? Because once you've started some change, you now have the autoimmune systems of the, the organization coming at you. You've got to look a little bit further and beyond that as well. And you just segued us into my big question from the weekend about the immune system. Yeah, can I go to that? I would love to go. Okay, to that. so this is my big question that I'm trying to find an answer to. So if anybody's listening and they know the answer. I would love to hear it. Um, I think of like the human body has the ability to resist viruses and other things that attack it. And I think of an organization as having an immune system to change. And I'm wondering, like, why can we measure a body's 
ability to resist sicknesses, blood cell count or whatever, why can we not do that in an organization? Not about, I'm not really focused on agility. I'm just thinking about change in general because change is like something attacking an established system, right? Yeah. I, I believe, and I can't prove it yet, but I believe we can. Okay. This is kind of where this is all head is. Like, yeah. how can I measure? How can I measure? And most of this is self-serving, to be honest, because it, it's not the let's come in and design a, a transformation plan. Let's get a couple hundred people to be more effective in working together. Let's all learn how to do Kanban scrum. That is not the hard part of my job. The hard part of my job is keeping all of that on the rails. Uh, with people who are interested, with an organization that wants to move forward in an ecosystem that is doing exactly what you described, where they're they're bringing in all of the, you know, antibodies to come and kill this whole initiative yeah. because it's so anti whatever to what they had been, what they were comfortable with, even if they believe it's healthier for them, doesn't necessarily be- make it easy for them, and so that's the hard part of the job. So you have I to convince to- everyone to like kale. You do. Absolutely. And not just like it, but that's not like the, <laughs> to choose the, it. <laughs> the main course that you choose and love it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think there are ways. And I, I think if, if we dig in underneath some of this, it, it's that's what I kind of want to prove out a little bit. I think that the whole Agile community has got a ton of energy into how we've identified you know, the, the value of our, our delivery system. I, I don't know that I want to go invent any new metrics around that kind of stuff. I think there's so much there, but we struggle with how to get the people component, this interaction between people yeah. uh, in the, the system under control. No, you know, what is my reality? How do I affect it and change it? How do I measure that I'm making some changes? I, I think if we start to look at some of that in more depth, then then that will help us to further understand what are those two or three things that, you know, we could put a little bit of medicine around to help us be insulated from, from that chaos. Okay. So to help it go down a little bit smoother. Go a little smoother. Yeah, go. Oh, I there you go. If you can get to the point where you can measure this stuff that you're seeing, feeling, believing, and desiring, then I'm assuming the next quest is going to be, how do we tie that back to the outcomes? How do we find a way to understand that when we get to this tipping point in desire that that should correlate to this kind of impact on the product that we're delivering or or the uh, response we're getting from the customer or whatever and that that i think is is where we complete that circle back to the the business perspective kind of that if i'm the executive mind i i'm not gonna say they don't care i don't care about all of this stuff right what i care about is the results yeah the the customers happier do i have better retention am i you know lower cost more efficient whatever that's what if we can if we can identify this is how we get there these are the things we need to be mindful of and then the result is happier customers more you know efficiency uh greater kind of impact on the markets that is exactly the point uh, that we need to be driving toward. And I think you can find that. And then that itself starts to shape not just our, our system of, of Agile, but how we think, how we interact, how we behave, how our culture starts to evolve, how our beliefs and all of that start to follow. And then those tie more closely to those business outcomes. Yeah, and I think for the managers who say that they don't care about stuff like seeing, feeling, believing, and desiring, and they just want people to work, 
It doesn't work. I mean, that stuff affects you. And just to make it super weird, I was watching TV last night and there was a Cigna commercial. One of the Jonas brothers was talking about sharing your emotional health with your doctor when you go in for a checkup. Because apparently, I guess from Cigna's perspective, they see a connection between physical health and emotional health. And I think it's the same thing in an organization. It's not just march this way, do this stuff at this pace, but how do you feel about how you're doing this stuff? Which answers the question of why I've come back to leading Agile three times. Um, it's like my emotional, physical health really ties to the work I'm doing, how much I like it or not. Yeah. And so the fact that, you know, all of us make those decisions, we're happier, we, we contribute more, uh, and not just contribute more, it's, it's we are more engaged, we're more interactive, we're more willing to give of ourselves and solve these big problems in our job when we're not sitting back and just taking it, right? We, we love what we're doing, but uh, and, and we're actively shaping how that then takes place. Yeah. So, all right, let's say that somebody's been listening to this and they're like, oh my God, hell yes, this sounds awesome. I want more of this. Where are you turning to? I mean, is this stuff that you're just working on on your own? Or are there sources that you're looking at to learn more about this see, feel, believe, and desire stuff? Uh, I'm not working on it alone. Got a couple of colleagues internally here that are, are greatly interested in this and they're trying some things on their own. They, a few of them even have some experiences that I want to tap into. I just don't fully understand enough. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at, I'm looking at like the, the change management community actively for, uh, you know, what they do, how they do their assessments, looking at some of those assessments to see if I can glean anything out of that and bring it into kind of the space that we deal with in terms of transformation. Uh, I read a whole bunch of things like, uh, you know, Cotter and all those. So actively looking at that whole change management space, folks who operate in that, um, I, I'm personally kind of starting to get interested in the change management certification just because I think there's some tools and techniques out there that I don't fully understand that we could be able to use and bring into our suite of, of, of work. Okay. So any of that uh, change management experts who um, have more like knowledge around this or interest in it, I, I just want to learn from them too. So do you think that I've had this kind of feeling for a while that the whole idea of teaching a company about agile or trying to help them get some level of business agility that it, if you follow it all the way down the path, it's not about any of that stuff. It is about accepting that it is constant change. Like that is the one thing that's going to be always true is that everything is constantly changing. And if you don't develop ninja-like skills at creating an organization that can adjust immediately all the time, then, then someone's going to drink your milkshake. Absolutely. If I take myself back 20, 30 years, I look and I say, oh, look, I've got the, you know the Pimbach and the BA Bach and all that. This is the book. We're done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> follow this, right? And then it's like 15, 16 versions later. Okay, I guess it does change. And even with what we're doing. So this is why I feel confident with the whole, yeah, I'm in this agile space. Because uh, what are we into? You know, 25 plus years of this now. Almost. Yeah. I, it's never going to end. There's always something new. It's that next level. And even the things we kind of think are, you know, that next peak. Um, Mike Kottmeyer talks a lot, a lot about like the false peak. Yeah. We get to where we think is like the pinnacle of it. We're going to look up and say, oh, wow, look at that. There's uh, more yeah, to go. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It. I know. So, 
So yeah, any of this is, is constantly evolving. And that's the way I think the organization has to think of itself as well as like, once they think they get to where they have to be. You have to dig in harder. They got to go further. Yep. Yeah. Cool. This was awesome, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. And it was really fun to do this again. We should do more. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Most likely my email address is the best. I don't, I don't tweet too often. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I check that every now and then, but uh, you can leave a, a comment or shoot an email to jeff.howie at leadingagile.com. All right, cool. And I'll include a link to your LinkedIn as well. But uh, hopefully we can keep, keep up this conversation and keep going. Absolutely. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, man. It's good talking to you. Take care.